Welcome to The Next Journey, the adventure travel podcast with me, Andrew St. Pierre White. I'm a prisoner of this hill. And I have in the studio with me, yours truly, Popsy Grin. <laughs> the perfection. The perfection. Okay, so. All I need is the cat, and then it'll be the ultimate imperfection. <laughs> right. Uh, we're going to discuss something that Gwyn has been working now for about four months and it is the creation of a course for the Overland Workshop called, and I'll hand it over to you, it is called the 365 Day Nomad Off-Grid Pantry. Right, so we're, <clears throat> we've been working on it, we've been working on it together, we've, we're quite proud of it and um, it's, it, it covers our experiences of traveling and our and our a relationship with food because we've been doing expeditions together for 30 plus years over 30 years about 35 years now it's about 35 years now that makes me feel so old. so can you remember the very first trip i remember when we were doing the uh, the first trip we ever filmed together we were, f we were think cooking at Nata, is what I was trying to, what was I was thinking. Was it Nata or Kutsi? No, it was not. Oh, was it? Because we did, we, we, in the beginning, when you and I first started our life journey together, mm. we were living in Johannesburg mm. and we loathed it. And we would say, oh, let's go away for the weekend. Where should we go? Let's go to Botswana. Cool. Let's go. Now... Let's get real here. From Johannesburg, where we lived, to the start of the wilderness in Botswana, which was Nata, which was like the gateway to everything, mm. was like a 12-hour drive. Am I correct, Andrew? Is my memory serving me? Uh, I was a little more than 12 hours. So it was about 12-hour drive, or maybe a little bit more. We would think nothing of saying, let's go away for the weekend. Let's go to Nata. We would on the Friday, we'd take the Friday off, we'd get in the car at four o'clock in the morning and we would drive and arrive at Nata at night. We'd have the Friday night and the Saturday night in the bush. We'd get up at four o'clock on Sunday morning and we would drive back to Joburg to be at work on Monday morning. Mm. I kid you not. Mm. And as a result, there was no time to faff around with cooking and things, stopping to eat along the way. I mean, that just, it, it couldn't fit into that kind of travel that we, we did. And we did that for years. So I remember I used to make, um, I used to cook sausages. I'd make, in South Africa, we call it pad course, pad course, P-A-D-K-O-S, road food. Road food. Yeah. And I would cook up pork sausages because we both like, you know, grease wrapped in innards, whatever. And I would uh, cut them up and put them in rolls with mayonnaise. And I don't even think we stretch to tomato because you don't oh, like tomato. <clears throat> no, the thing is that you would do that for our trip out so we yes, had fresh food. food. And of course, we didn't have a fridge. So no. it was okay for the first day, maybe two days, not mm. more. And so we would have lettuce and tomato and mayonnaise and sausages. Sausages, and sausages. was our, was our and thing. And I'd wrap them in tin foil 
and put them in a Tupperware at yes. my feet and yes. you know to keep our flagging we doing all this driving to get to this place to escape Johannesburg and we would eat these rolls yeah. with sausages yeah I don't know um, how we got onto that well <clears throat> I was actually thinking about the, the we did actually film that we started at that time that was 1990 and we started doing film my my filming thing and when we made home movies we just did home movies mm. and there's a shot of you cooking on the on the scottle braai which was a plowshare type thing that uh, we would cook traditionally cook bacon and eggs mostly bacon and eggs and occasionally a steak or something on it but if we had a steak we would generally put that on the open fire yeah. so it was mainly bacon and eggs that we used as scottle brise and there's this shot of you making bacon and eggs at Nata Lodge and that was in my that was in my mind's eye of you know what was what was you know happening to us with our food um, but the thing is that we never had a fridge no we didn't and that that made the fact that we didn't have a fridge it made prepping food so much more challenging i remember a trip that we did uh it must have been in the late 80s i think where we went with my my brother lou and my ex-sister-in-law who became a friend of mine after she and my other brother split up and you and I and we went and we did this mammoth trip we went from Johannesburg where we were all living and we went around the western side of the Okavango up to the panhandle Shakawi Shakawi where you got Dara, so sick because Dara. you you drank poisoned water this is Andara behind me and our mission hospital, which I've had to visit because of an extreme case of the Jeppos. And the kind German doctor, only for obviously from Southwest, gave me some this and that and some dehydration tablets, whatever, for the total cost of six rand, which I think is not bad game. And then we went across to um, Katimo. We are now at the camping site of Katima Mililo and in the background we have the Zambezi River. As you can see it's very, very pretty. And tonight we're going to go and eat hotel food for Andrew's stomach. <laughs> the water tastes great, doesn't it? The shower's gonna go down well. It's good to be back in, in friendly territory. <laughs> We're gonna need gas, eh? Because it's gas And then down the eastern side of the Okavango. It was an epic trip. And I remember we carried a cabbage with us. Yes, we Because <laughs> this was going to be our fresh food. We would carry things like cabbage and butternut and gem squash and potatoes, things like that, because we didn't have a fridge. There was no way you were taking tomatoes or lettuce. So it was very much root vegetables. You could take carrots, they would survive out the fridge. But on this trip, we took this cabbage and it didn't get eaten. And it just got more and more and more and more shriveled as we went along. Right, this is a cabbage. It was bought in Johannesburg about three weeks ago. It was traveled through Gaborones, through Francistown, through Marne, 
along to Lake Ngami, through Shikawi, through the Caprivi Strip, back into Botswana and ended up at Sarandela in the Chobe, finally three weeks later, after having done a detour through Zimbabwe. We've now decided to eat this poor animal, vegetable, mineral, whatever, and uh, we do it with much regret because it's probably one of the most well-traveled cabbages in Africa. So we'll put it in the poiki tonight and see if there's any sustenance left in it. We did try to organize visas for it, but we thought we might be antagonizing the local border guards if we did ask them to stamp it, so it remains unstamped. And in the end, we were joking, you know, we need passport stamps for this cabbage. Yeah. Um, and it made the whole trip back. And look, if we'd got into trouble, which we did a few times, we had some adventures on that trip. We, uh, we did a section of road where I think we traveled something like five miles in eight hours or something. And we were trailblazing. There'd been so much rain. And eventually we had to just sleep out in the bush and the elephants were pushing down the trees. And we got out of the tents in the middle of the night and huddled in the car. And we were in, in the Range Rover and there was this terrible thing. Is the Range Rover going to start if an elephant attacks kind of thing? Um, yeah, we used to clap when it, it started. started. Yay! <laughs> right, what you see behind us here is a campsite where we spent a few worrying moments last night with a herd of elephants foraging behind us. The reason why we're here is that we spent eight hours to do 100 kilometers, 100 miles yesterday through much swamp land and much detouring around full pans in the middle of the road. And we were heading for Savuti, but seeing the condition of the road is so bad, we decided to camp over last night and turn around and head back to Serendela. Now the problem is to find the way back to Serendela. So when we get there, we'll tell you what happens. Hey, baby. Um, but if we'd really gotten into trouble, we could have eaten that cabbage. Wouldn't have had much well, nutrition in it, but well, we could have. We, we, we were going to eat it. We had intended Tended. to eat it. It wasn't but it taken as a... it became a travel companion after a while. It, 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 uh, the next day, it probably would have got a name, but it didn't, actually. I think we binned it before we crossed the border. Uh, so how did we cope with keeping eating nice food? You will remember this. You'll remember this better than me because you used to do most of the pre food preparation, oh. obviously. How did we store? How did we carry? Because I remember we ate well. We we, we did well. What was your What was your secret? Well, we'd have those. We'd have a cooler box, a coolie. They call it uh, in some parts of the world, or an esky here in Australia. But it's just a cooler box. And one of the things you used to get those blue bricks that you would freeze. Yes. And then That's wrap right. them in newspaper. That's right. By wrapping them in newspaper, yes. it, it it kept them colder for longer. So Yes, the other the other that's right. And I remember now we would take gaffer tape and tape duct up. tape duct tape we uh, gaffer, yeah. and actually tape the lid of the cooler box to stop any it, air coming ingress in. at all. And we would have cool food for about Four days, yeah. I seem to remember. And then after that, it was tins, or if one came to a trading store where you could buy meat. But otherwise, we'd eat tin food. And you, you'd make a stew of it, and you would try and make it as interesting as possible. You'd put potatoes in it, you'd take the basic tin food, the tin of whatever, tin meat, and you'd make a lovely stew of it with potatoes, the carrots, the butternut, those onions, great, because they traveled well. 
and you just make what in South Africa is called a poiki, uh, those three-legged pots, and you would cook meat. That was if, you know, it's called a poiki, and it's a, a whole process of cooking with raw meat, but we'd make a poiki with tinned meat. Tin meat. Mm. And um, you can make tinned meat very interesting. Chuck in a dollop of red wine in it, and you've suddenly elevated it. And the onions would the onions would stay fresh for and the potatoes for virtually, would virtually the, the entire, entire trip. trip would start changing color a bit towards the end of the trip because they of might the, start sprouting. Yeah, and they were very of course they were being they were it was very dusty and very bumpy, so uh, they didn't look good at the end. And then we got a fridge. Do you remember our first fridge? That yes. dreadful. <laughs> We thought it was fantastic, but it never actually worked. No, it was... Paraffin, think, or what was it? Edessa. I think the name of it was Edessa. They went bankrupt. Uh, I fought with I fought with it for... We probably had it for, I'm guessing, six years. Might have been more, maybe less. But I remember fighting with it the whole time, and it kind of worked, and then it didn't work at all. It was... It had a, uh, a seven-amp uh, small heating element to heat up the tube. You could run it on gas, but I was not interested in running it on gas while driving. It was, to me, it was just too dangerous to do that. So you would run it on the electricity, but it used to use a lot of current. So it wasn't very efficient. And so- You were always um, tweaking with the pin or something. Oh, constantly tweaking with the pin, I seem to recall. Yes, because the gas jet would block. And as the gas jet starts to fill, it's it's uh, it's uh, the efficiency. So so I would look down the tube, and I would have to service the fridge every couple of days. Mm-hmm. I'd look down the tube and make sure it was kind of equally warm all the way up. And I'd look down and see if the thing was round and fiddle fiddle fiddle, and there it was. But the food wasn't cold. <laughs> <laughs> all, <clears throat> all this effort. And um, yeah, the food wasn't cold. It was the beers were just. A little bit better than they would if they'd been sitting in a box mm. and that was the best we did eventually I actually went back to Odessa and said it doesn't work can you service it and they came back and said yes here's your bill for servicing it we've got it this we've done that and we've changed the jets oh you changed the jets yes they were the wrong ones in the man put in the as when it was manufactured and I said and you've charged me for it and you built the fridge and you put in the wrong jets and you're charging me for this yeah tough they didn't last very long, mm-hmm. you know. So it was a terrible product made by a terrible company. We thought we were kings <clears throat> because we had a fridge in the back of the car. It was I don't know. I, I didn't never felt that way. It was just a, just a constant annoyance. And sometimes I actually wish we didn't even have it because it took up a lot of space. But then we got an Engel. Yes. We were sponsored an Engel. There was a company in a oh, long time ago. The first proper efficient 12 volt compressor fridge that came to south africa was made by engel and that revolutionized camping for everybody changed everything for everybody it, it was changed cooking it changed how how far you could go where you could go it, it just revolutionized it. it is and in fact it, it's it was as pivotal in the four-wheel drive camping community as is as are lithium batteries in mm. the changing the way, just change, fundamentally changing the way we live in the bush. Mm. And then suddenly we had a cold. You could have ice. 
You could actually. We you never know, had ice. But, we, but you, you could. could you, you could, could have, you have ice 10 days in your trip, into your trip. Well, you would have cold beers and your meat mm. would be fresh. Could. You could have fresh meat. You could have yeah, fresh, fresh vegetables and, and things. And you, you could have a, 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 a lettuce that didn't look like a, like a, you know somebody's washcloth that had been you know, fallen out of the back of their bucky. But the fridges also brought another challenge because with the fridge, it's now, you know, the old saying, everything but the kitchen sink. Suddenly, whereas we used to in the old days, days. in the old days, (laughs) we used to um, be able to put all of our food in a box, the black box. um, We used to... We, we travel a lot lighter. You know what food. my daughters would say to this now? My daughters would say to this now, <laughs> they say to us, that's a wonderful that's story, story, Grandpa. Grandpa. <laughs> <laughs> <So> carry on. <laughs> but we travelled a lot lighter with food. We were much more... Fruit. We, we ate well, but we ate a lot more simply. And food prep as a result was a lot easier we weren't trying to run a gordon ramsay kitchen in the bush as people can do now some people like that I some know. people i mean we've, we've got and Sean, Ad- i was just going to mention adronette and sean they, they, that's why they go i think that is why they go to go and make this amazing food in no, the desert so, for me that's not what it's about so those of you who have watched the channel know Andronet, uh, uh, uh his uh, channel is called Ex- Expedition Extreme uh, he lives, they live in, in Dubai and uh, we've been to see, uh, we think we've been oh, on about four trips with them. them great people to travel with the wonderful company and you and eat like royalty welcome to my adventure in the United Arab Emirates, six days we've been on the road and this is our final campsite on the beach in a place called Silla. You eat so well. But the effort that goes into producing that food, it's hours. It's hours of time, you know, to purchase, well, prep the menus, purchase the food, pack it in the vehicle, take it out, cook it, wash up afterwards. It's like, that's not why I go into the bush. That is absolutely not why I go into the bush. I go into the bush to be in the bush. And to, I'd much rather be sitting there watching a magnificent sunset and talking and being with the people that I love than slaving over it. Because it's one of the things I've noticed. I mean, with with, with Sean Sean and Antoinette, they they live for that. They love that. And, And Sean's thing about cooking you know he'll do a roll of pork or something on the open fire and everything it's his thing he loves doing yeah and there are people who love that and those people probably won't want to do my course because i disagree with you well Uh, my course is for people who you see the way i look at life there are two kinds of people okay there are people who love cooking and then there are people like me who just want to get a meal on the table, a good, healthy, nutritious, delicious meal on the table as quickly as possible so that they can get on with their lives. Would you mind if I interrupt you just a little bit? You you do actually love cooking. It's when you have to do it day after day after day. And when we had 
we had kids living at home and you had to do a meal every single day and I can see you, you now rolling your eyes. You wake up in the morning eyes. and the first thing you ask yourself is, what am I doing for supper tonight? That, that has got to kill the passion for cooking. But the fact is that you do still occasionally enjoy your cooking. It's mm. not something that you hate doing. No, it's not. But it's become very efficient. Yes, I'm, I'm willing to take two days and get into the kitchen and prep a whole lot of food that I either freeze or dehydrate or can or preserve in some way so that I can come back later and have a, a meal on the table within the plate, 20, yeah. Min- yeah. 20 minutes. Yeah. So that's how I like to like and the, to cook. And it, and it works incredibly, incredibly efficiently, Sissy, because... Y- y- I noticed with some camp setups with friends, you've got often got the you have a separation. Often the women, not always, are doing the cooking, and the men are doing the fire and having a beers and chatting. And there's this kind of separation. And I, some people are happy with that, but I, I look at that and think to myself, what is causing the separation? Is it food? Because if it's food then surely the challenging, difficult stuff that can be done at home actually should be done at home. Mm. Because you can do it over, the, over a couple of weeks before the trip. And then when you get in the car, you've got all the stuff in the car, the separation times become reduced because those preparing the meals, it's now 20 minutes, not an hour and a half. And you could still put your meat on the on the barbie you know on the fire and mm. and and still have that wonderful camp feel yes but without that the, the grind the grind yeah and all the washing up that goes with it and particularly if you you know you're conserving water yes the washing up becomes a a, a problem because it is so water intensive so tell me more a little bit a little bit more about the course that you've Put together, or we've put together, but you're presenting it. Yes. And and to give us a give us a one or two nuggets of. I teach how to arrive at your campsite and have a meal in twenty minutes, in a, a nutshell. And 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 and, 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 and I have good. to say, it's a really good meal. Okay. It's a really good meal. I teach how to dehydrate foods so that they're light and easy to store and don't take up space in your refrigerator. Example. Tomatoes. Tomatoes are buggers to travel with. Yes, I know. They're terrible. They always have to be on the top of the fridge. But the lettuce also always wants to be on the top of the fridge. You've got all these things that want to be at the top of the fridge and you're wanting the cheese that's at the bottom. So you're there digging and ferreting and things are flying in every direction. Well, with me, I don't know. Maybe other people are more glamorous and elegant and have got this sorted out. But, you know, and you're trying to put things, take those things that need to be at the top of the fridge. Okay, you can't dehydrate lettuce, unfortunately. But things like tomato or your marrows, uh, you know, zucchinis, um, mushrooms, all those things that need to be in the fridge that just take up a lot of space, dehydrate them. Put them in a packet and drop them in a drawer. What a pleasure. You've now freed up all that space in the fridge for the other things you need for your Gordon Ramsay kitchen in the bush. So let's take that example then of tomatoes. Take that example. 
and you're not you're not your camp you're now you've now got the equivalent of how many tomatoes in the jar <clears throat> what is the process of reconstituting them so they're delicious tomatoes where I dehydrate tomatoes I slice them up I put some herbs on them some mixed herbs I'll put some nutritional yeast on them gives them a lovely cheesy flavor put them in the dehydrator once they dry I've got a choice now I can powder half of them and use that for tomato paste sprinkle the powder on a baked potato uh, you know a potato that you've done in the coals perhaps or over a mashed potato or you can put it on a sandwich you can sprinkle that tomato that tomato powder gives you that magnificent burst of tomato flavor really really lovely or you can take the dried tomato and you can put that in a casserole it rehydrates in the liquid that you you're cooking with a thin little you know round of uh, tomato rehydrates in no time so instead of now having to carry tins of tomato for your casserole you've got dehydrated tomatoes that are already flavored got a delicious flavor chuck them in your casserole so with the combination of your powder and your dehydrated tomatoes as whole tomatoes you've solved the entire tomato conundrum you never have to carry a fresh tomato with you again yes you don't have the lovely visual for Instagram where you're cutting up a beautiful fresh tomato but really it's a bit squished because it was in the fridge and, and it had managed to find its way underneath the cheese <laughs> on a rough on a rough road so that's oh, just one example yeah, so that's you, on the dehydrating yeah. side right I like meals in a jar I like to have when I'm camping or even at home where I've had a really rushed day and I want something that 20 minute cook I like to be able to take a jar of home canned food so I teach canning pressure canning on the course of how to preserve meat particularly and vegetables in a jar home cooked that you can open at a campsite pour into a saucepan thicken a little bit to make a nice gravy and pour over rice a stroganoff a stew um, chicken pieces that you can add into any sauce you fancy fancy a green curry you can make yourself a green curry with chicken out of your can out of your home canned meat and those are fabulous because that is just an instant it's an instant meal and it's home cooked you know exactly what's gone into it and it will preserve it'll be on your shelf for five years no no problem and uh, it's ready to go when you when you need that meal mm. Mm. so in terms of the uh, canning give us some ideas of uh, a very quick rundown of the the process of canning is it I mean, it's going to take so long to do the preparation that that somebody might say, oh, well, it's so long at home. I'm spending hours and hours and hours. Is it really worth it? Is this a very 
you know, a typical canning yes, process? Yes, canning is, it... is a long process. Anybody who tells you canning isn't a long process has never canned anything. But the beauty of it is you say, right, I'm going to be canning today. To can a, a, a little uh, pint jar, mm. by the time you've cut everything up and done, the actual processing time in the pressure canner is an hour and 15 minutes. And during that time, you need to hover. Okay, so it is a lengthy process. But think about this. A normal pressure canner for home canning, mm. you can put eight, is it 18 jars in there. So you've taken a morning and you've made at least a dozen meals. meals. Where else are you going to be able to invest that time? And they'll stay on your shelf for for years. So not only are you um, creating food for your travels, but you've got food at home for an off-grid situation. We all saw what happened with COVID. I've got to tell you my COVID experience. Are you sure you want to? I had been stocking, Andrew and I have stored food for decades but with COVID I thought well it's not it's not it's not a lot of food it's just that we we always like to have a couple of months backup it's a comfort thing I think more than anything else in the house and we we do that and then when COVID came along we went let's just stock up a little bit well 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 that's good we've got that let's let's boost it a bit yeah so I toddle off down to our local uh, Woolies and my first sign that things were a bit different was there were no trolleys and there was nowhere to park. Well, before I noticed it, there was nowhere to park my car in the car park. And I thought, that's strange. So I kind of parked off on a side road and I walked down and there were no trolleys. And I thought, hmm. I walked into the store. It was pandemonium. There were people fighting, literally fighting over the last pack of um of chicken I got in my car I drove home I grabbed my girls and said you have to come and see this you will hopefully never see this again in your life but you have to experience this I took them down back to the shop all thought of shopping forget it we just walked around watching these loonies these are people that were scared. They were scared. Mm. And they had yeah. no preps, yeah. nothing prepared. Yeah. And we were following a, a worker and he had a, um, a pallet. He was taking pallets, I think a yogurt or something. People were snatching the yogurt off the pallet as he's walking along and he's singing at the top of the lungs. <laughs> it's the end of the world as we know it. So, yeah, having investing a couple of hours to make yourself some canned food, home canned food that you have chosen the ingredients, you've chosen, you know, out of prepared, tested recipes that you know are healthy and safe and not going to kill you. And having that food in your cupboard, that's a nice feeling. Yeah, it is. So that's also actually part of the course. Yep. Is that we we you know you talk you talk about a little bit about preparing food for long term okay. storage, mm. and uh, we should perhaps do a podcast on our on our our own food storage. It's not mammoth. It's not doomsday. It's 
Well, it served us well during COVID because you could walk out, the, out of the store and say, okay, well, I'm, I'm okay. I'm going to wait for this to die down, which it did reasonably quickly. And then uh, there were a few things you couldn't get. And uh, we went and stocked up on those few things that we were a little bit short of, but we didn't need to. It was actually a very comforting feeling. I wonder how many people have actually, because of the COVID experience, have actually changed their mindset when it comes to... Oh, do you think it's... Mega. Do you think so? Mega. Okay. I'm in the process of starting a sideline business. It's part of Four Weeks Overland and it's part of what we do, but it is um, helping people to store your supply of food. Now, maybe I'm letting the cat out the bag here about our own food storage. It's maybe a little more extensive than Andrew has let on, but I have seen the upswell in on social media of people looking for information on how do I get food self-sufficient people are very aware people are aware which I think is a very healthy attitude actually Mm. because then if if you are prepared you're not a drain on society I could leave Woolworths without buying a single thing and leaving that food for people who needed it Mm. I wasn't part of the problem Yes. I didn't become no, part sure. of the problem. Sure. See, that is why we put solar system on our house. We've got a good, healthy solar system on the house. We could survive without external energy. We don't. We do use gas and we do use a bit of electricity in winter. But we could survive completely off-grid should we need to. Mm-hmm. I don't think it's ever going to come to that, but should we need to. It's a comforting feeling. Having a food supply and having a backup we and knowing how to store food so that you know that it's safe to eat yeah. long term. Yeah. Because so. you don't want to be getting sick while you're on the trail or yeah. um, in a, yeah. a crisis situation. Yeah. So again, give me the title name of the course. It is the 365 day. Just one year. One year. Yeah. Off grid. Right. Disconnected from society in general. Nomad for us overlanders. Moving around, right? Pantry. Pantry. And that is now available on the Overland Workshop. That's overland-workshop.com. And uh, there are actually now currently nine courses. And you can purchase uh, the new course. uh, Or alternatively, subscribe. A yearly subscription gets you all of the courses that are currently running on it. And of course, any course that we add to the library of courses on Overland Workshop during the next year, during the year of your subscription. Yeah. And I think that's, um, I'm pretty proud of Overland Workshop actually, because, and, and, yeah, I, and, I, and I did it and, and, and Paul and I, uh, really we made the Overland Workshop because we were both being bombarded by questions, by four-wheel drive questions. And it's not unreasonable. You get onto YouTube and you have an audience and the audience respects your opinion. And it's not unreasonable for them to say, oh, I wanna, I'd want love to ask Andrew a question about my Hilux or about my suspension on my Nissan. It's impossible for me to answer those questions. So the Overland Workshop was a case of saying, how can we teach the principles? So it might not be vehicle specific, Actually, it's not vehicle specific at all. It's principle specific. And what you've done now is you've said all of these people that are going to 
your new channel and set of courses that you're going to create, it'll be on a separate, we'll we'll be launching it. I'm hoping for January, that's my plan. Right, so you will be in the same situation. You'll have so many people asking you questions, asking you questions, and it is impossible and unrealistic to answer all of them. All you can do is teach people principles. You can teach people principles because the way people eat, Everybody eats differently. Yes. So you're teaching principles. So, oh, I so don't like tomatoes. Well, here's an alternative. alternative. Here, here, you know, yep. so again, it's principle-based. Yeah. Uh, like the Overland Workshop is for, uh, for overlanders, it's principle-based, and you're basically doing an Overland Workshop for... People who want to store food. People that want to store, prepare, and travel with, with, with food. There's so much I have learned while doing this course with you. I mean, I've been watching you do it. He's done quite a bit of the filming because and I've done I've done quite a bit of the, the filming, filming, and it's and it's so interesting. It is, so, and there are some rules. You know, my my thing is okay. Well, how do I know if it's uh, you've stored it yourself? We take a can off the shelf in a in a supermarket. We assume, mm. and we open it and eat it. We don't yep. even think. Yep. When we do it at home. We're using almost identical process, but we're doing it at home. And because we're doing it at home, we question. There are risks. There are questions. There are questions that come in. But home canning has been around for generations. And um, after the war, there were quite a few people in the States who were home canning and they got sick. They suffered from botulism. So the USDA uh, in America, Mm started a series of test kitchens they they weren't trying to stop people home canning they wanted people to home can more safely mm-hmm. so they created test kitchens where they would go in and they would find the perfect way to can food safely and they put out approved recipes right so you know if you were using an approved recipe done according to the guidelines stipulated for that tested recipe and you not being a cowboy and deviating and you know winging it you will get safe to eat food and any fears that you have about handling a pressure cooker some people are terrified of pressure cookers because we all know the stories of oh blowing up the house with a pressure cooker we all grew up with that well i certainly did but it's a skill. You learn how to use a pressure cooker, just how, like you learn how to use a chopping knife. It's no different. These are learned skills. And anybody with a modicum of intelligence can learn how to do them. And if you follow the tested recipe, you can take that jar off the shelf. And as long as the integrity of the lid is there, that the, the seal hasn't broken, that food is safe to eat. And there's a test you demonstrate the test to see if the seal, yeah. to see if the seal has yeah. and if you are still in doubt all you have to do is boil that food for 10 minutes and then you're 100 percent. really yeah yeah so the other part that you are adding to on your not it's not going to be on the overland workshop course that you, that you've you've created is freeze drying is another thing that you are now working with. I'm uh, working uh, with a friend and, who is uh, a freeze drying uh, master. 
She and her husband own three freeze dryers and they freeze dry uh, meals. This is domestic. They not use, this is not commercial. This is for their own home storage. They. Because I have on occasion been given freeze dried food from, you know, you buy them at the camping store and occasionally expensive. they're expensive and they, because it's you know, quite intensive to actually do it, do this, but you do it at home, it's actually not that expensive. And well, the, the, free, the, the freeze dryer is expensive. It's a hell of an investment okay, the to buy. Is the machine that is, is expensive. Yes. Um, and it's a, it's a long, you think canning is a long process. Freeze drying is an even longer process. Right. But you end up with food storable for up to 25 to 30 years, which is, um, and it's so simple. You arrive at your campsite to reconstitute, just add water, and you've got a meal. Well, what I, what I was actually going to say is that I, 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 you know, I'm, I'm sponsored this stuff. I get sent it every now and again. Somebody will say, oh, they, they, you know, they, here's one, try this, try that. I've never had a bad one. I've never taken a freeze-dried meal out of a tin, rattled it around out of, you know, one of those, that, that plastic packaging that it comes into. And it's always good. Sometimes it's fantastic, it's really good. It loses no flavor at all. And it's instant. Um, I, I'm, I'm generally very impressed with the off-the-shelf freeze-dried meals uh, that you could get at your camping store. So I'm very excited to actually watch my favorite meals that you make freeze dried and we take it I, we take it on a trip so that's coming so the things that i cover in the course are canning how to can safely making those meals in a jar dehydrating making sure that you've got light easy to transport delicious food to be used in your cooking i cover cooking with a wonder bag which is energy efficient cooking i cover the advantages of a deep spice bag. You cannot overemphasize the importance of having herbs and spices to dress up your food. And then we cover something on water. That's what we're covering in that course. Uh, and not water, energy. Energy, energy. It's, it's about energy, yes. Um, thank you, Gwynny, for your, for your participation. Thank you for all those um, major podcast platforms and of course for your youtubers watching the show thank you for watching remember like and subscribe and more important than anything else share this with your friends if you've enjoyed the show see you next time thank you so much for listening to the next adventure podcast with me andrew st pierre white to find out more information check out the next journey.net join us each sunday 